In today's episode, I want to talk about defeatism. It's probably a weird topic for me. I think most people don't think of me as a defeatist. I've always been somebody who enjoys problems. I like solving challenging problems, and I'll work on them for a long time, sometimes too long. I think a lot of people would identify me as the opposite of a defeatist. I don't know what the opposite of a defeatist is. But maybe a perfectionist. <laughs> um, however, in reality, defeatism, or rather the ability to accept defeat in one part of a problem, is what enables me to solve hard problems. When I think about the failures of many of the startups that I've worked with, oftentimes it is not accepting defeat. It is not accepting that they cannot solve the hard problem. Not accepting that everybody who's tried to solve this before them and failed have all, like them, tried really, really hard, and all, like them, have been very, very smart and been well funded, but they haven't solved it. And the reason that they're going to solve it cannot be that they're going to do the same thing. Not that they're going to be a little bit smarter or a little bit harder working. The only way they're going to solve this problem. Is if they find some part of it that they don't need to solve, and then solve the rest of it really, really well.、Um, I, in fact, I like to think of kind of three possible approaches to solving a problem. The first is perfectionism. So this kind of approach、uh, means that you want to get perfect results for the problem, and you expect you need perfect execution to get there. Then there's the optimist. The optimist still expects perfect results from their problem solving, but they accept or expect that they don't need to execute perfectly to get those results. And then the final person is the realist or the defeatist. This person、uh, accepts that they will not execute perfectly on this problem and they will not get perfect results. Now, when this plays out in reality. Well, let me give you an example to show you how it works. Let's imagine you're hosting a dinner party, and you ask everybody who's attending for their dietary restrictions. Unsurprisingly, since it's 2020, everybody has one, and they're all different. So you have to make a choice. How are you going to host this dinner party? The perfectionists would say, "I'm going to make a separate meal for everybody, so everybody's happy." The optimist would say, "Well, I'll just make, oh yeah, you know, one one kind of set course, and make sure there's at least one dish that everybody can eat. Maybe it's a side dish." And then the realist would say, "I can't make everybody happy here, so I'm going to tell 20% of the guests that they have to eat before they come, but there'll be plenty of wine and discussion,、um, and the other 80% can eat the meal." So. What actually happens here? Well, I guess every every plan in this case is flawed.、Um, the first one, the perfectionist plan. Although every guest is happy, the party planner surely is not. They've spent a lot of time now hosting this dinner more than they probably expected to to spend, and it's unlikely they're going to want to throw another dinner party again because the last one required them to cook seven different meals. The optimist. Probably enjoyed the party and the prep, but their guests, who only could eat a salad, 
were probably a bit perturbed. And then the realist, well, they were able to tell 20% of the guests who couldn't eat to eat beforehand. So they came full and happy and ready to drink wine and hang out. The other 80% ate a meal and all were also happy. The key difference between the realist strategy or the defeatist strategy and their other strategies is that the defeatist here, the realist, they could choose what trade-off they were making actively because they accepted that there would be a trade-off. The optimist and the perfectionist, they did not accept that there would be a trade-off. So they couldn't choose what it was going to be. Of course, there was always a trade-off. It was always going to happen, but they couldn't choose it. Because they couldn't choose it, the trade-off that happened naturally was one which was actually quite important for the party. It's important for the host to be energized and happy when the party starts, not exhausted. It's important for everybody to have eaten during the party, even if that means they have to eat beforehand. The party wasn't about the dinner. It was about the wine and the fun conversation that happened. And the realist could make a trade-off that enabled that part of the dinner to happen while sacrificing the rest. And I sometimes wonder if some of our national policies suffer from the inability to accept defeat. Take, for instance, our student debt crisis. In 1965, when we decided to start having guaranteed loans, it was because we couldn't accept that some students were not going to go to the college they wanted. We couldn't accept that, that, uh, that there wouldn't be a time when 100% of students get to go to any college they want. Um, and so we said that we'll guarantee federally all the loans that students get for university. As a result, we had a different trade-off than we expected. We could have made the known trade-off and said, all right, N percent of students are not going to go to any university they want. They're going to go to um, a community college or a technical school or any other number of uh, options for higher education. Um, instead, we said we're going to solve 100% of the problem. And we thought we were making no trade-off. But like the perfectionist in the dinner party, we made the unknown trade-off, which was rising college tuitions because everybody knew that they had, um, all the universities knew that their uh, students had guaranteed loans, they could raise their tuition forever with no consequences from the market. And so tuition skyrocketed. And now students are burdened with $150,000 in debt or more upon leaving undergrad. And that's before you go to get a master's or some kind of, um, some kind of graduate degree, which is pretty important for most jobs today. So we made the unknown trade-off while trying to achieve the 100% solution. Um, compare this to other countries who have uh, made this trade-off knowingly and strategically, have put in place technical schools and on-the-job training programs. These other countries have similar employment rates to the U.S., and their students pay about 1 50th the cost for higher education. So, yeah, I wonder if we can apply more realism or defeatism to our policies and end up with better solutions. What do you think is 
the national policy arena a place where we can make compromise, or is that a place where we don't accept defeat? 